all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 244 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this would be the UAE Lucky Number episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that in several areas of the United Arab Emirates, specifically Dubai, that it is considered a lucky number to be the number 244. And with that wonderful little bit of lucky number knowledge, I, of course, am Madden. Coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. What up, yo? Oh, not much. Just... Just chilling. <laughs> Just baking here in the 90 degree Fahrenheit apartment. <laughs> that reminds me, did you see that uh, dad joke viral video that went around? No. Ah, well then allow me to tell you an amazing joke. How do you know, how do you know when bread's, uh, how do you know when sandwich is cooking? How? When it's bacon, lettuce, and tomato. (laughs) (laughs) Do dads still make jokes like that? Because that seems like a very Tom Hanks 80s era dad joke. Okay, well, over the weekend, I took the, I took the fam out to uh, go see HMS. Detroit. No, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that that that'll be the uplifting movie after we go to the Holocaust Museum. No, uh, we went to the Houston Museum of Natural Science over the weekend, where we are now proud members of the uh, Houston Museum of Natural Science. And uh, we we went there, and of course they have the huge dinosaur exhibit and everything. They got the, lots of really cool stuff. They have a, an Egypt exhibit, and you know, gem hall, and, and and a gem vault as well. They had a really cool Fabergé exhibit and stuff. So we're going through all these different things. We didn't even get to do the whole the whole uh, museum, mm-hmm. but one of the places that where we were in the dinosaur area, they have a petrified wood section of the dinosaur uh hall and it's literally called jurassic bark b-a-r-k and so i have a an instagram video out there that i copied out to twitter and facebook and all the other social media things where i pan from the hallway entrance um off the main corridor of the dinosaur exhibit and then pan into the entrance of the actual Jurassic Park exhibit. And I, of course, have to do Hammond, right? So I'm, welcome to Jurassic Park. And, you know, dun, 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 dun. so yeah, I did that and I, I completely hashtagged it, you know, dad jokes. And, uh, it was, it was, you know, fun times were had. Yeah. Fun times were had by all. Like, do your kids get that joke? I, I don't know if it's still like relevant or not. The John well, Hammond as, Jurassic uh, Park stuff. As my kids have seen Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, um, yes, they got the joke. Okay. Do they prefer Jurassic World to Jurassic Park? Sadly, yes. 
Les sad. I was too. And I'm, and I mean, I spend so much time with them with movies and telling them all sorts of cool stuff and getting them, like I sat them down tonight and they got to watch the Who's on First routine and everything. And, you know, I, I really want them to get the full experience of great moments in cinema and comedy of, mm-hmm. you know, drama and stuff as they get age appropriate. And so when I hear, Jurassic World was better than Jurassic Park. It literally breaks my heart. I'm like, are you kidding? You how how, how? I have raised you better than this, but um, you know, that's what are you gonna do, kids? They let you down. Slap them around. Yeah, do they agree like with you? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that's until, good until, parenting, right? Until you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> until you chase them away. You know, that's yeah, it, it, precisely. Yeah. Anyway, good parenting is when you're when you know your kids on heroin and homeless, right? Yeah, that's right. When you have successfully chased them out of the house and into the bottle. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Indeed. So, everything going well in your world? Yeah, just hot. I understand. I understand. All right. Well, then I guess let's go ahead and jump right into the old mail sack. What do you say, sir? Let's take a dip. Here we go. Get in that mail sack. Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack like you should. And what do you know? We have people taking pity on us. Yay, no castration sounds. (laughs) Okay. Like, is the castration sound so true to what it actually sounds like whenever you go in and get a castration? Or I guess you don't ever go and get a castration. Do humans go and get castrations? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's that. And I'm sure there are freaky people out there who would choose to get a castration. I mean, eunuchs are still a thing, I guess. But I, what I'm thinking is, is they are, that I'm specifically being, uh, my, it is much to my chagrin, right? So that I can never ever hear, oh no, we suck again. I, I'm not going to be able to get that sound bite added to the mail sack thing when for the castration because I'm getting emails now. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm, I would honestly, I'd rather get the emails, but still I am kind of sadly looking forward to when we get the, you know, well, Rob Schneider thing. So the, the good thing is, is that I forgot all about that until right now. So I'm going to make a little. <laughs> No. <laughs> to go in and delete all the emails next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, our our email, we, we we do have one email. If you would like to send us an email, we would love, of course, to uh, hear from you. Please send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And, of course, uh, we're steadily climbing that follower ladder on Twitter. Thank you for all of our followers on Twitter. Um, but if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, that is also at the SLS cast. Our email comes to us from that fracking cat who writes in the subject line, yay, an email. <laughs> he writes, greetings, Matt and Tim. Just wanted to say that you two are screwed up in the head with your grapefruit sounding jar talk on episode 241. Unfortunately, I did see the jar video years ago. Very disturbing, and I quit interneting for a while. Get right with Jeebus. 
I also wanted to thank Tim for choosing It's a Disaster for the bonus Dinner Party Moment segment on episode 240. When you mentioned that as a bonus segment, that movie was one of the first to come to mind. Unfortunately, I had only seen it once after it first came out and couldn't remember the title or many of the actors. I just had a vague memory of what it was about and how it ended. Now I will have to find this movie and watch it again. I also thought one you would have chosen, The Big Chill. It had some good dinner moments where the friends were gathered for dinner having a great time, then coming to terms with the reason why they were back together. I thought it was a good moment in the movie. Anyway, just wanted to babble at you guys for a bit, and I didn't want you to be sad to hear the guillotine sound this week. <laughs> Thanks for the shows and keeping me company for an hour and change while I do my work thing. Take care, guys. Cat. P.S. Why was Sam Elliott cut from the closing? Why do you hate Sam? Why? Matt hates Sam. It's kind of sort of my fault um, because, uh, first of all, let me get to the bulk of everything. Thank you very much for the email. That is some really cool stuff. And you know what? My wife really loves the big chill, so I'm surprised I didn't think of that either. Well, I did choose, I think the last time I talked about it's a disaster, because I'm pretty sure I used that movie for another three squared. I paired that with The Big Chill. So I didn't want to use both in the same thing again. But since you brought up Big Chill, one thing that's one movie that I've been wanting to do for a either a, a did it well for a did it age well, actually. Or a wasn't worthy. Well, no, actually it did it age well. Because of the themes in the movie, considered now, are very taboo. And, I don't know, that would just be a great movie to go and revisit and talk about. We do have a, a slot opening for bonus segment in a couple weeks. Maybe we can throw it on the throw it on the calendar for that. We do. There you go. Look at that. Kitty, you have just given us show content. Thank you, sir. Now, will I remember that show content? <laughs> <laughs> Please send us a reminder email. <laughs> in like two weeks uh, anyways alright so back to the Sam Elliott thing. okay so that was technically my fault alright so here's what's up Tim wanted to kind of you know change things up a little bit and add some kind of flair to the end of the show just, you know just kind of do some fun stuff and, and we do actually believe it or not we do try to talk to each other about things and we really want to work together and make a good show Tim just did not have time in between the idea popping to him when we had to recorded and then dropped it and was like oh shit hey i did this thing tell me what you think so i listened to it and i felt it was too long and so i was like maybe we could just pick and choose certain things and i don't recall if i specifically asked for the big lebowski i i was kind of hoping that the big lebowski part would make the cut um but as that was tim's you know, idea, I didn't want to be like, no, this sucks. You do this and that and <laughs> stop. So I was just, I had just been more like, hey, can maybe, you know, cut it back a little bit. I felt it was kind of like a little bit too much. And so Tim very graciously was like, okay, well, these are the things that I felt were really important that I wanted to keep. And I'm like, cool. And so it kind of got set down to that part. But I had kind of hoped that like you, Kitty, that we would get to hear Samuel. Like, well, guess that's all we got for this time, folks. I mean, I would have definitely been okay with that well so, a lot of it is because of background music because in the background of the sam elliott scene there's uh music and so whenever you cut out the section or a particular section within a scene with background music you have to make sure to pay attention to that background music because if you cut it out 
and it does like a weird skip, it kind of ruins the whole point of having it as you're closing. It's all about leaving you with a feeling or, or, or leaving or ending things on a moment, you know? And so that's why I ultimately just went with the Chinatown. It's Chinatown, Jake little clip because of the back. There's no background music and it's literally also the last line of the movie. Yeah. That, that's just my reasoning. It felt like for some reason I had to defend myself. So I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope that worked. <laughs> Well, I, we, I, we were trying to fall on the sword for each other, Tim. Yes. So, and that's okay. But at any rate, all right. So one more time, if you need to send us an email, we would love to hear from you. The show at slscast.com. And, of course, if you need to reach out to us and or follow us on Twitter, that would be at the SLScast. So without further ado, I guess now we should just go ahead and hit right on into the news. What do you say, sir? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> And first up, from me, from Variety.com, by way of Brett Lang and Patrick Freider. As of August 3rd, this was an exclusive for them. Viacom executives flying to China as Huahua Film Slate deal looks shaky. That's right, Viacom executives will be in the hot seat after jetting to China to help assuage fears that of, of a major film financing partner. Uh, Variety learned. Angry over losing tens of millions of dollars on a $1 billion slate financing deal with Paramount Pictures, Chinese film company Huahua Media, is looking for assurances that the studio's upcoming movies will be more commercially successful. Viacom is Paramount's corporate parent. Executives from Viacom will travel to China uh, to meet with their counterparts at Huahua and to try and reassure them that things will improve in coming months, a source close to Huahua uh, told Variety. The Chinese company is particular dis- particularly disappointed with the reception of Baywatch, Ghost in the Shell, and Transformers the last night, and believes that Paramount's creative team has not done a good job of making films that will play to international audiences. Quote, we have incurred losses for the mo- first months of the current year. Uh, these are not trivial losses, they are huge losses, and all quotes from that source. Um, I definitely would recommend that was just barely the first third of the article, so please go and check that out at Variety.com, again by way of Brett Lang and Patrick Freider. Viacom executives flying to China as Huahua Film Slate deal looks shaky. And again, as of the 3rd of August, that was an exclusive for them. Um, Tim, what are you thinking here? I'm, I am definitely not surprised that this is happening. Who the fuck in China gives a goddamn shit about Baywatch, despite the fact that the trailer at least made it look like it was appreciating the fact that it was tongue-in-cheek. I I did not see the movie, but the trailer at least made me think, okay, well, at least they kind of give a shit. Um, And they were kind of hoping for a 21 Jump Street kind of a vibe. But at the same time, nobody, nobody cares anymore. Right. Um, and I agree. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Oh no, it's the same Ghost in the Shell, which of course we reviewed, and then Transformers: The Last Night, which we just have both absolutely refused to see. Um, I mean, how? You know, it it it's okay. I think this is kind of like vindication. If you ask me, this is this is kind of vindication for 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 the Matt and Tim's of the world, for the SLX tasks 
of the world because we have been trashing these movies and we have been so sick of the reboot train and all the continual sequels and stuff like that. But we have both realized, uh, and I know that I have said time and time again, that movies are not really being made just for us anymore. And by us, I mean the, the U.S., they are going to China. They are looking for international markets. China is slated at this point, if not very, very quickly, to be the largest movie market in the world. So it makes sense that we might not like the movies so much anymore and they'll, they won't do so well here, but they're still supposed to make hundreds and hundreds and billions, hundreds of millions or if not billions of dollars elsewhere. But they're not. So. Is this vindication for us? What, I mean, just what are your thoughts in general? Where, where are you at on that? Well, I think Wawa, Wee Wawa, whatever they're called. They're, they're Wawa, Wee Wawa, right? They're, they're named after the Borat saying. I, I thought it was Wawa, Wee Wawa, and then he shrunk my head. But, you know. Uh, <laughs> Times are changing. And the, there, for a long period of time, there was this mentality of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Which is why we had the there's a whole slew of Seth Rogen movies. Will Ferrell movies used to be big box office draws. Now they are hit or miss. Now it seems like now that Will Ferrell has to be paired up with somebody in order for the movie to do really well. And so whenever they look at 21 Jump Street doing well, and then 22 Jump Street did very well, of course somebody's going to be like, we're going to take Baywatch, it stars The Rock, and we're going to do something with this property. Well, it's just kind of the same shit. I mean, it's based on a really shitty TV show. I don't even think it was even good for the early 90s. I never really, I didn't really watch it until the late 90s. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And I think a lot of people are getting smart. Also, casual moviegoers are kind of watching what they spend money on. When one movie like Baywatch, which is more of a fluff movie, is going to be released close to another maybe larger tentpole movie, then I'm sure those people are going to wait to go see and spend their money. If they Again, if they are worried about money, go and spend their money on that other movie. I think that's the case. I think people are getting smarter about what kind of content they do want to watch. If they really don't care about seeing it or they don't re- aren't really familiar about the property, I don't think they're going to go and see it. Times are changing, and it just seems like a lot of studios are really banking on double dipping. And if they follow the same formula, they will, they think they will always hit a home run. And that is not the case at all. And that's when we see a lot of these companies, especially these smaller movie distribution companies, like they put a lot of stock in these movies. Like I forget the company that did the, oh shit, what's the the book based on the Yaw novel, the Divergent series? Those didn't do it. It started off semi-strong. They thought, oh, these same people who came and saw this first shitty movie will keep coming back regardless because they're fans of the book. They're going to keep coming back and see every single one of these sequels. Right. Sure. And of course they did. Yeah, because the YA movement. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody everybody went with the YA movement because of Hunger Games. and, um, And clearly... It was. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't work. I. I don't know. I guess it just seems like where we see things standing with companies like A twenty four, and I mean, I guess even Miramax to a certain degree. And we're starting to see 
more of a boost in like the Sony Pictures Classics uh, in the Fox Searchlight. Um, I I really think that the reason why we're starting to see a boon in these areas is because it is clearly indicative of people, like you said, people are just tired of the same old shit just because they think that's got a big name on it, either the big name of the source material, the big name of the existing franchise, the big name of the actor or actress. And, um, and, and like you said, it's, it is just not working. What's also very hit or miss are the WAG titles, the Sony Pictures Classic movies and the Fox Searchlight movies. Granted, Fox Searchlight and shit, I'm trying to think of the other studio that distributes kind of the more indie flicks. See, those studios are paying to just distribute the mo- uh, distribute the movie. And a lot of them are very hit or miss. So like they go and they buy up all these movies. And if you're lucky, you're going to have a whiplash. You know, you're going to have whatever foreign flick that just happens to strike a chord that people will go and see. Those are very hit or miss, but it also seems like, at least in L.A., what's been very gratifying for me is, like, I can go to some of these movies and go at, it doesn't matter, at 9 a.m. or 10 p.m., and the house will be pretty packed with people wanting to go and see these lower, not necessarily lower budget, but just these indie flicks, whereas beforehand right. we'd have to go to, you know, River Oaks downtown to even come close to that. It just that that aspect of it makes me happy. And and honestly, I think it's like I was saying before when we kind of were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. And I had said, you know, I, I, I don't think the answer to the question is good either way. Are, are we too stuck up or are, are they depending on people to be lowbrow, you know, that are coming to watch these movies? And I think that we're finally starting to see that the answer is is that people are just starting to demand more from movies overall. And that's always a good thing because that's going to find the next big innovation that's going to get people to start coming back to the theater again. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be always franchise stuff. I, I think that having good movies and good stories told well should always be the key. Um, and, and maybe... Uh, and, and maybe, you know, threats of losing lots and lots of money will be yeah. what it takes. So, If American audiences aren't even going to go see Transformers anymore, that's got to be a big sign. Something has to be done. They got to change their formula because they're already planning on a freaking Bumblebee spinoff movie. Right. All right, man. What do you got for us? Before we move on, a mm. question I have for you. Yes, sir. Because, like with Transformers last night... The movie you and I refuse to not see. <laughs> or no, no, you and I refuse to see. There we go. To see. To see, yeah, to see it. To see it. Yeah. So that movie did well overseas, like China. And that movie is geared towards the Chinese audiences. True. But even that movie... Okay, so I'm going to read the, the next paragraph from this article. It says, The company was particularly, particularly incensed that the most recent Transformers did not perform better in China. The film made nearly $230 million in the Middle Kingdom, but that was a significant drop-off from the $320 million earned by its predecessor, Transformers Age of Extinction, in 2014. Globally, the film earned $570.6 million, a weak result given its $217 million budget. But do you think also 
Americans, the U.S. audiences, are just kind of getting tired or catching on to the fact that these movies are now going to be geared. They say it's going to be geared towards a more global audience, but I think it's kind of obvious that they're now aiming for where the money's at. Do you think that'll have an effect on the U.S. audience? Because now it feels like they're not even being, I don't know if considered is the right word, or thought of, I guess, maybe? Well, honestly, I kind of think that's where the genesis of my previous arguments were at, because I think that was, honestly, I think that was the hope. I think it was literally the studios going, eh, we don't fucking need you. We got, you know... Why do we need to figure out what 300 million people want when we can go ask 1.2 billion people what they like and we'll just do what they like instead? Um, the problem is, is that love it or hate it, uh, the, the Western pop culture, um, and, and more specifically North American and fine U.S. to the greatest degree, but definitely Canada, uh, Britain, Europe, Netherlands, you know, that aspect, those are the major driving forces in pop culture. Um, that's not to say that there is not value to be found anywhere else in the world. That is not to say that it is, uh, that, that there aren't things that are inherently better or different or some things that other countries, uh, and populaces have that we won't understand or ever get. It's not saying any of that. But it is saying that, love it or hate it, we still seem to kind of drive, you know, we still be, we still, we're still putting it out there first. And then other people come and, and go, oh wow, yeah, that is really cool. We want to do it too. Right. And when you're alienating the group, the audience, especially the audience group that says, yep, this is what we like, you know, mm-hmm. um, then the the rest of the world is kind of like, well, hang on, if if though if the if those stupid Americans won't even watch it, why the fuck should we? Right. And I I think that that is what's happening here. And I think you're right. I think you you have hit on that because the initial thought probably was, fuck them, we don't need them. But it turns out that you know what, it if the only way to get the 1.4 billion people to watch is to get the 350 million to watch first, then yes, they're going to have to bring us back to the table. Bring us back. <laughs> we just want to see. We want to give them an offer we can't refuse. So I'm going to mention a quick passing. The RIP isn't Sam Shepard. I think we all know that Sam Shepard, the actor, playwright, passed away at the age of 73 on the 27th of last month. But via Kotaku.com, K-O-T-A-K-U.com, the man who first played Godzilla has died. This here is written by Brian Ashcraft, and it says this, Haruo Nakahima, the suit actor who played Godzilla from 1954's Godzilla to 1972's Godzilla vs. Gijan, has died. He was 88. Nakajima started his career playing small bit roles, but his big break was bringing Godzilla to life in its seminal debut. He would go on to play the character for the 12 consecutive films that followed over the next 18 years. As Kotaku previously reported, Nakajima said he prepared for the role by studying how elephants walked, 
Quote, at that time, there was an elephant from India there called Indira, and I observed how it walked, end quote. He said in 2014, quote, Godzilla's style of walking came from an elephant, end quote. While the gig paid well, Nakahima said he didn't initially get the respect he deserved, donning the 100-kilogram Godzilla suit, quote, Back then, people didn't speak positively of suit actors. There'd be whispers going around that working inside a suit is not an acting job. End quote. The character he played is one of the most famous in movie history. If you want to read more about the man who first played Godzilla... Do check out the article on Kotaku.com, The Man Who First Played Godzilla Has Died, written by Brian Ashcraft. From CNBC.com by way of Michelle Castillo, Disney will pull its movies from Netflix and start its own streaming services. Uh, Let's see here. So, basically... Here's what it is. They just got this deal locked into place. I'm just going to sum up the article real quick. Uh, Disney and Netflix just got this deal locked into place where Disney was going to be exclusively, you know, putting all their uh, their movies out there to Netflix and stuff. So I think, just remember, all the Marvel movies, all the Star Wars movies, right? So, you know, not just Moana, but everything else. Um, and now they are exercising an option in their contract to yank at, at 29, at the 2019 mark. So, as of 2019, it'll no longer be gone, and instead they're going to go a la HBO Go and have their own streaming service, where they'll probably throw t- their own TV shows in there as well as their movies and what have you. Um, and they're going to have an, a special offshoot that's going to be just ESPN. Uh, so what do you think, Tim? Do you think uh, this is good, bad, and different? I, I I should be asking you that because you're the one with kids. I don't, no, I. I'm, no, it's honestly, I've been saying this for, for ages. I, I, I wanted HBO Go, um, so that I could get HBO Go. I have been writing annually to Disney saying, Hey, when are you going to give me Disney Channel? I'm happy to pay you for Disney Channel because I'm happy paying a grand total of like $200 a year or whatever for my, all of my cable needs, right? That, you know, I'm going to break that down to 20 bucks a month and I get all the HBO I want. I get all the Amazon that I want. I get all the Netflix I want. I guess I'm going to have to up that up to, you know, 25, 26 bucks a month or whatever. And now I'll have all the Disney I want and I don't have to do anything else. Um, it's there, you're, we're turning it into an a la carte thing, which people are worried about. And I, and I can already see the thing is like, well, then people are only ever going to just choose one or two different services that they're going to want. And then they're just going to pirate everything else. Maybe, or people are going to start scaling back the unnecessary, ridiculous content. And we're going to start getting really good stuff again because they can actually see what it is that people want. Um, now that's not to say that it won't turn into a new kind of cable in like 20 or 30 years when someone says, Hey, let me just bundle all your streaming services for you yeah. and charge you a flat rate. Well, you you oh, and I, you and I are cord cutters. We are not like, yeah, we are. I was agreeing. Oh, okay, I wasn't, okay. that wasn't no, the question. I thought you, like, I thought you no, were we confused. Are. Like, no, 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 we are. Cutters? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I was a pioneer, baby. I was a pioneer in the cord cutting movement. If, if you don't mind me asking, how much do you pay for internet? I want to say sixty-ish bucks a month. Okay, so so let's say sixty. That's sixty bucks plus, say uh, Netflix is what seven bucks 
No, I think it's up to like nine. Okay, now. we'll just say ten. So six, so you're already at seventy. Let's say Disney. Disney's going to be. I'm going to aim low ten. and go for ten. Okay. Sure. And then you said you have Amazon, and Amazon is it's going to be like one. It's one twenty a year, I think now, right? Is it? I don't know. I paid a hundred bucks. Yeah, last year. or I think next year it's going to it's going to go up or something. So a hundred bucks a year. So we break the hundred dollars down to a yearly rate. Hundred divided by twelve is going to be eight and some change. We'll just say eight twenty-five. Okay. A month there. And then with even without Disney, I'm paying eighty bucks a month. But that's including all of the internet. That's not just uh, the internet isn't just for watching TV. Sure. I guess what I'm getting at is that it's for our internet. Our internet alone from for stupid fucking. I'm not going to say who. It's ninety over ninety five bucks only for the internet. Sure. That's what gets me because there is a so Criterion came out with the Filmstruck network, and I would mm-hmm. love to have it, but I'm going to be the only one watching it, and I'm sure I should not going to be watching a Criterion <laughs> movie every fucking night. So we have Amazon Prime, we have Netflix, and then we also have uh, we have Hulu because on Hulu we can watch. <laughs> That will never – I will never understand that. I, 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 I truly don't understand why people – I get the idea in and of itself of Hulu, but I don't understand why people would pay for a streaming service specifically when it's going to have commercials. It people doesn't have commercials. For, I never have commercials on Hulu+. Plus. You cannot – you cannot – Get rid of 100% of the commercials on Hulu, no matter what your pricing tier is. The less... Because there are there are certain programming deals that they have for specific shows that even if you are paying for the I don't want commercials tier, still will have an ad, at least one. Well, the last 15 times I went on to... Uh, well, I'm, I say 15, but the last many times I've used Hulu, I've never had a commercial... The only thing I came close to having commercials, say if you watch like The Simpsons or something, before mm. every episode they show like tune in on Wednesdays on Fox to watch The Simpsons live. You know they do that. It's like a, like right. a little ten second little little still or promo for the show you're about to watch, but it never cuts to a commercial midway through. Never. It's just the same show all the way through. So yeah, no, I've never had to watch commercials. But at any rate, you were saying with Hulu, you have Hulu and Amazon. Yeah, so I mean, if so, if like running up to ten bucks for all those, so it's over how it is out here. If I get another service or pay for another service, it's then going to be just as much, or maybe even more, than if I just got it went ahead and got fucking cable. But I don't want to use get cable. I don't know. I don't. This is taking too long. But that's the thing. That's the thing is you you are factoring in your internet. As part of your "quote unquote" cable, you use your internet for everything. But that would be—I'm talking about internet and all that included. With if I was going to get cable, it would. True, it would it's but still if you cheap. were going to get cable, you're right. But if you were going to get cable, mm-hmm. okay, cable does not include Amazon. Cable does not include Hulu in the format that Hulu gives it to you. Correct. And it does not, it certainly doesn't include Netflix. So you would still then have to pay extra. So you would be paying for your better bundled rate because now you're bundling your cable with your internet. Whatever, you're still paying more. And then you'd still have to pay for 
at least Amazon and Netflix. But that's why I was saying then if I purchased more, if I subscribed to more sites or to more stuff, that's when it would become more expensive or pos- or just as expensive as getting cable. You know, if you if you get like HBO Go, I mean, that's what? 12, 14 bucks 15. a month, 15 bucks fif- a month. Yeah, yeah. It's 15. So, I mean, if I got cable and stuff, well, that, that have HBO. So that kind of takes care of that. So, I mean, you know, it's just stuff like that. Like, so once they, once it starts getting like more so a la carte, what if Sony decides to have its own? I'm not saying that they're going to do that or not. It'd be stupid because <laughs> what kind of titles well, do no, they but that's have? The thing is that it, but, but that's the thing is that the a la carte thing is, is a very good idea, at least for now. I'm not saying it's a permanent solution, but it does allow a very focused, I mean, it's literally, it's laser focus. You now, instead of, Hoping that people are willing, that 25 million people are willing to pay you, you know, 80 cents, okay, mm-hmm. so that you can have your programming. Now you're looking at getting, now you're looking at 3 million people giving you $15 a month. Now, do I want 80 cents or do I, do I want 80 cents and still not really have an idea of what people are doing? Or do I want 40 million or do I want $15 and I, and I know exactly what's happening? Oh, oh I don't give a fuck about them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Well, I am definitely done with the, with my news. Did you have anything else before we get to our movies? Sir? No, I think, I think, uh, I think we've we've done enough damage around this popsicle stand. (laughs) All right. Well, then let us move on ahead here, and we will go to the movie. All right. And this week's movies are Detroit and the Dark Tower. If you don't mind my two cents, I, I think we should start with Detroit since we sound like we might have some things to talk about with Dark Tower. Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay, then. Detroit is a 2017 American period crime drama film. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow. It's written by Mark Bowl. And this is based on the uh, Algiers Motel incident during ni- Detroit's 1967 12th Street riot, which itself was part of the uh, hot... The hot, steamy summer of 1967. Let me make sure I have that right. Um, do, 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 because there, yeah, it was part of a greater issue there. I can't, and I think I want to say they called it the, the hot, steamy summer or something. At any rate, uh, there were a lot of riots in the summer of 1967. <laughs> Assume this is about what went on at the motel. What happened at the motel? You don't know, I tell you. I was working security by Wisconsin. And on Tuesday night, we heard gunfire coming from the area near the Algiers. Police was there. There was a lot of shooting. in there three kids have been killed no so they were killed right before you got there sir 
You carry a 38, right? A revolver. You carry a revolver. I do have a 38. You ever shoot anyone? I didn't do it. Please. Oh, here we go. Here in Detroit, a city of war, violence continues. We've made state police and national guardsmen available. I'm declaring a public state of emergency. It's a war zone out there. They're destroying the city. Police! I'm just going to assume you're all criminals. You don't talk about this to anyone ever. You understand? I need you to survive the night. So basically what we have here is a uh, – oh, I guess we should get to uh, stars – the movie stars John Boyega, Will Poulter, Al G. Smith, Jason Mitchell, John Krasinski, and Anthony Mackie. Um, and so basically what we have here is a pretty – a very, a very even-handed and straightforward retelling of the events of the 12th Street riot. And more specifically towards the Algiers incident, which happened on July 25th, uh, 20, 23rd, 1967. Um, and so basically what happened was, is you had the, you had some men, you had, uh, some, uh, African American soldiers who came home from Vietnam. Uh, they're having a party at a bar, basically a, Strictly speaking, a makeshift bar. This was not a legally a legal establishment, and so the police show up to break it up because it's getting out of hand, quote unquote. And instead of just you know letting it go, the 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 a riot breaks out. I mean, basically they they get up on top and start throwing bottles and stuff. And uh, before too long, obviously it starts getting out of hand. Um, and Regardless of whether or not you agree that it should have gotten out of hand, it did get out of hand. And then, of course, we end up having the National Guards getting called in. And this is actually going on for a couple of days. Um, meanwhile, we were on the backside of this particular hotel. The Algiers uh, Motel is a kind of a, a glorified not going to mansion, but definitely a nice manor house that could be rented out separately. And this is where the bulk of the movie ends up taking place. You've got uh, some kids who are just kind of doing stupid stuff, and before too long, shots are fired, and the police think that there's a sniper in the building, and so they use that as a pretext to go in, and they do some very, very nasty things when they get inside. Um, some kids end up dead, and ultimately, no one really ever comes to justice. Now, why would I just spoil the whole movie for you? Because this is history, and most people already know about this, and if you don't know about it, think about the time period, think about what the subject matter is, and just put two and two together. Um, this movie I felt was, uh, it's, I mean, in terms of its technical, all of the technical aspects are, are great. Uh, it's, it's well acted. It's well directed. Uh, politically, it's not trying to pull any punches and it's not trying to tell you things that didn't happen. Uh, but 
what you're left with is really kind of a just kind of a two-dimensional well i don't have a better way to say it it's just kind of a, a well duh because that we we get it we know that that's what happened that is specifically what was going on in this at this time period of history um if you're looking to shine a new light on it i think it becomes really more important to establish you've got to really and truly create uh people and means to go into it i think perhaps the better aspect to this would have been to cover the trials, the subsequent trials that came out of it, um, and use the incident itself as kind of a flashback point to, to, to narrow in on the characters and the people who came out of that. Um, but instead they chose to just simply focus on telling the story. And, and the story is not sending this, it's not something that we should say, oh, well, just take it lightly. But at the same time, we need something we need something more to build off of and i think that the story is important and i but i think that the outcome is the key and it's the key to the change that people needed then and i think to a large degree could be used today so based on its technical aspects i give this one a 3.5 out of 5 it's a decent movie it is well acted well directed i just think that it comes off as being two dimensional it's 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 still good it's still good but it but i think it misses the mark on being really good and especially great Alice, huh? no sometimes when a black guy is put in a position of authority other black guys they like to single you out Okay, because I'm not supposed to tell him what to do. When we have these conversations, we do them in stages, okay? Stage one, witnesses. Stage two, suspects. What stage are we in? You don't know what stage we're in? No, could you specify for me? Yeah, we're in stage two. You're a suspect. 3.5, I, so it's kind of funny. You liked a Catherine Bigelow movie more than I. I even went back and listened to our Zero Dark Thirty review, and I thought, surely, I don't remember, I don't think I actually gave my rating for that movie uh, when we recorded, but I know you gave that one a three, and I thought, surely, you would have given this one a three. I'm a fan of Catherine Bigelow's work. I appreciate her filmography, Near Dark, Point Break, and Strange Days are fun flicks, and The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty are very political and controversial, but she made a political, actually many political and social statements, by way of quality filmmaking. She is a quality filmmaker. The Hurt Locker provided audiences with a view of war through the eyes of a sergeant who had been assigned to an army bomb squad during the Iraq War. In Zero Dark Thirty chronicled the controversial manhunt leading to the death of Osama bin Laden at the hands of SEAL Team 6. The Hurt Locker plays out like a wartime drama with tense and at times very emotional scenes where pointless life-and-death situations are made by an American soldier who questions the role that Americans play within their protected modern democracy. Zero Dark Thirty was a very tense and jarring flick. 
But the overall story is shrouded with controversy due to the number of political statements that were strategically placed throughout the overlong film just to evoke a response. It was that strategicness and maybe a little bit how overrated Zero Dark Thirty was at the time that ultimately distracted me from the actual flick. The only reason why we got a 157-minute movie is because of all that controversial filler and, and padding that just overstuffed the movie. Now, Detroit is Bigelow's follow-up to Zero Dark Thirty, and it's another based-on-true-events flick about a dark moment in American history. The history and the characters that Bigelow chose to focus on aren't necessarily politically controversial. Luckily, they aren't politically controversial necessarily, but it is based on true events controversial. Your big problem, Matt, with Zero Dark Thirty was how Bigelow took one too many liberties with the based on true events moments that don't have the factual backing and molded those moments into the meat of the story where she displayed her political beliefs, a la the waterboarding scenes and the various avenues taken, which led to bin Laden's murder. The Detroit riots were horrible and deeply disturbing. The actual, real-life Detroit riots were horrible and deeply disturbing. And sitting in the theater, I was excited in a way to see how the riots would be depicted on screen. Because I don't think another movie that I, that I can think of, at least I haven't seen a movie depicting anything like that up on the big screen. With a runtime of 143 minutes... The flick focuses on a select group of people. There's the people of color and the misguided, but mostly racist and downright evil white law enforcement. Most of these characters are played only as characters with a face for the audience to associate their feelings with, without a lick of humanity and insight for an audience to fully care for or try to understand. Now, I believe, to the best of my knowledge, that these characters were real people who were placed in the exact or similar circumstances, very much like the ones that I witnessed up on the movie screen. Horrible actions are carried out throughout the movie, followed by bombastic excuses to justify those actions, and I got worked up and extremely, extremely angry. In fact, I couldn't sit through the end credits because of all that anger just building up inside of me, fueled by those same exact actions and excuses that were made in the film. If Catherine Bigelow's overall goal was to evoke anger and ever-mounting frustration by way of the action, and very broadly, the people, then she definitely succeeded. But what this movie really needed, from a storyteller's point of view, are three-dimensional characters who unknowingly, or knowingly, depending on the character, find themselves in a situation where events quickly get out of hand. Despite the very existence of racism and the superior white ideology that was running rampant in the 1960s, the liberties that Bigelow took, especially regarding the scenes at the Algiers Motel, feels like a compilation of the best of, the absolute worst situations that innocent African Americans could be put through during that time. Especially with a movie like this, where the focus is on a select group and what had happened to them at the Algiers Motel, it's important to provide the background to help people understand the audience, to help the audience understand why all of this is happening in the first place. Because numerous, 
numerous shaky cam shots of various angry, innocent citizens and the law enforcement reacting poorly doesn't make for a solid and historical foundation. Now, I left this movie very angry, thinking that Catherine Bigelow created violent imagery and characters with just humanity or depravity solely to work people up and to maybe, just maybe, have a conversation about it. And that is why I give this 3 out of 5. It still got its initial point across, and I think that is well worth the price of admission. Well, all right, all right. And I guess it's a good thing I said that iconic phrase, because we're going to the Dark Tower, 2017 American science fantasy western film, directed and co-written by Nicolas Arcel. Uh, this is a continuation of Stephen King's novel series of the same name, and uh film stars Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey, along with Tom Taylor, Claudia Kim, Fran Kranz, Abby Lee, and Jackie Earl Haley. For thousands of generations, the gunslingers were knights. Sworn to protect us from the coming of the dark. These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. I know there is. Oh. Who are you? It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. He's like the devil, isn't he? No, he's worse. You can't stop what's coming. Death always wins. Your world might be gone, but mine isn't. You let that tower fall, billions of people die. Do they have guns and bullets in your world? You're gonna like Earth a lot. All right, let's go. You clawing your way out of the darkness. Tell the kid whoever walks with you dies by my hand. I will kill him for both of us. I do not aim at my hand. He who aims with his hand has forgotten the face of his father. I aim with my eye. I do not shoot with my hand. I shoot with my mind. I do not kill with my gun. I kill with my heart. Primarily, though, it's uh, just Tom Taylor and Hedris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. So, all right, the movie. Uh, let me see here if I can if I can try and sum this up in an easy way. All right. Well, th this is starting off well. It's because the movie is trying to take eight fucking books and put it into one movie. Basically, ostensibly, eight fucking books and put it into one movie. All right, there, there's a key. All right, so basically what we have is the Dark Tower, okay? The Dark Tower stands as a beacon that protects the universe from that which is outside of it that seeks to destroy it. 
Um, all of the worlds that are in the universe um, are protected by the one dark tower. Okay, um, The leader of those who would destroy the dark tower and, of course, all of the universe is in, in the movie Walter, otherwise known as the Man in Black. Um, fighting... Walter is a, uh, and his ilk are a line of protectors known as the Gunslingers. The last of which is Roland Deschamps, uh, played by Idris Elba. <clears throat> the key to the protection or the destruction of the Dark Tower lies in the psychic ability of a young Jake Chambers. And so they fight over him to make sure, one, to protect him, uh, and by virtue of protecting him, the Dark Tower, the other, to take him and use him to destroy the Dark Tower. Who will win? Shenanigans ensue, and then you find out. Um, is that a pretty fair summation of this movie, Tim? Sure. I mean, you do have a leg up because you did read all the books, and... It sounds like you're able to make some sense out of what but the I fuck mean, was going it, on. Okay. All right. So at least you... All right. Okay. So the books, however, in the books, none of the... Nothing, no, none. Uh, the Dark Tower stands as the last beacon to protect the universe from all of... From, from the evil that would come to destroy it all. Okay? Um... But the one thing that they allude to in the movie with, you know, area numbers like 1408 or Pennywise's Circus is that the entire story of the Dark Tower takes place in the universe that is Stephen King's books. All of them. <clears throat> um, and so this is why the, this movie had such a long and troubled development cycle. Because how the fuck are you going to take eight books? And you know what? And just by virtue of keeping it simple, seven books. Because the eighth book is a book called Wind Through the Keyhole. And it is actually book 4.5. It literally exists completely self-contained. The timing of the events in the story take place between books four and books five. Um, but you could take it or leave it, and it doesn't truly affect the story. So, just seven books. And in the course of that, um, it's, it's about Roland. Um, the whole series is about Roland. It has nothing to do, um, in total with Jake. Okay. Jake is, is, is a part of it, but the story is Roland's. And so when you're, and you're telling it again, over seven fucking books, there's just no way to condense it down into one there's just no way to get that into one cohesive story um there are there are other characters um in in the book you you or in the books there is a woman who is uh confined to a wheelchair who literally suffers from multiple personalities um there is uh there's a junkie and 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 the 
they come from different time periods. And so, um, even though they all come from what they refer to in the movie as Keystone Earth, uh, they all come from different time periods. Um, and so, and the worlds that they take, the roles that they take to go through everything also come from different eras. And sometimes even different worlds. And the thing was is that they tried to put all of these different concepts, like the rat people or whatever, and the little battle station thing that where they're using the psychic energy of the kids to destroy the Dark Tower and stuff. Um, they're taking all of these different concepts and the concepts of the black, of the man in black, the concept of Jake and, well, and the gunslingers and the fact that it's supposed to exist all in Stephen King's universe. Um, they're, they're taking all of these things and plugging them into a movie and they're expecting, they're expecting to tell it in a way that people who haven't ever seen or heard of these books, let alone read the books, will be able to follow. And you just can't do it. You simply cannot. I applaud them for trying. But the only reason that they, but the only reason that they even halfway succeeded with me was because I read the books. And when I was, when I first started hearing what was going on, and then I saw the trailer, I was like, this movie's gonna be terrible. And I have a buddy of mine, uh, Jeremy actually, we used to do the, the, the Jeremy from, that we used to, uh, started off in podcasting with the Wild Factor show all those years ago. Um, he, he and I were talking about it, and he was like, oh, well, uh, I have some good news for you. This is supposed to take place after the books. And I was like, okay, I'm willing to give it a shot. And for those of you who have not read the books, this still doesn't help you. Because now you're like, well, what the fuck did happen to the seven books that now they're making a whole nother movie on whatever. But it does help me <laughs> to understand why the movie was going to be different from the books. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I kind of had to divide, I had to divide my brain. As someone who watched the books, as someone who read the books, I can, I want to give this movie a 3.75. And the reason why is because for doing what they tried to do, it comes off as a halfway decent action movie. It's likable, great acting, um, special effects are fun. The nods to the books that they do throw in are great. Still a lot of flaws, still some ham-fistedness and everything, and some very easy, easily detected, you know, uh, plot devices and cheesiness to be found, especially with Matthew McConaughey, despite him being a fairly convincing bad guy. But then I have the people, then, then I have to think about, but if I had never read a book, what would I give this movie? And at best, I could give this movie a 2.75. Because I wouldn't understand why, what, what's with the no-skin people. I wouldn't, I mean, you have to be able to make logical inferences and logical leaps based on the very limited knowledge that they're giving you. And it's, it's not enough. It's simply not enough. But again, you know, halfway decent action flick, 
you know, decent acting, pretty cool special effects. It's better than okay. Can't quite say I would like it. So 2.75 from there. So I had to split the difference on this one, and I give it a 3.25. That is where I land is a 3.25. Because as someone who read the books and at least understood what was understood what I was looking at, even if I didn't agree with it, even if it could have done a lot better, um, it's definitely likable enough. But going on, the, knowing that there are people who are going, what the fuck is a rat face person? Why the fuck do they even care about this one dude who all he has to say is stop breathing and they just stop breathing? Like, ooh, that's a trick. I can see the frustration level there. Yeah, so 3.25 out of 5. You know, if I could give you an A for effort, I would. This is why book series like this need to be made into television series. They need to be, they need to go the HBO route. Um, if you can't do anything else, then, you know, do them the, the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. route or something. Because this is just, this is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I don't know. Tim, lay it on me. I've got the mic. I'm I'm ready for your questions. I'm ready to try and help you unwind this. Wait, did did you give it a two point two five or three point two five? I split the difference on a three point seven five based on having read the books and what I would have given it because you know pretty decent flick versus someone who has never seen the books but could objectively at least say ah decent special effects, decent action. Um, so I I split the difference on that and with went with a three point two five. And now, and I know you did not like this movie. Oh, I fucking hated this movie. I work at Sony. I uh, was able to not pay to see it, and I, I'm glad it was 95. I, I think the smart person was the one who agreed to make this movie 95 minutes because I think they knew a lot of people aren't going to want to sit through any like more than they need to. I like how there are some people that are enjoying it. But even when it does have some good effects, they still only paid 90, 80, I think 80 to 90 million to make this movie. And you barely see any of the special effects. Like some of the effects and some of the scenes that take place, you kind of wonder like, it should have happened a little bit longer. Like there's not, like things just kind of happen and then it's over with. That's what ultimately got me. Like, it never allows you to really fully... Uh, uh, you're not actually able to, like, fully lose yourself into what's going on, into the story. It's not a very immersive-friendly story. I It just felt like I was watching an extended version of one of those, like, YouTube compilation videos when somebody edits together all of the released, like, trailers and clips from a movie that just came out, like... I first really noticed it with Alien Covenant when people were like, oh, if you edit together, if you watch all the trailers and all the new footage from all the other trailers and all the clips together, that's pretty much 20 minutes of the movie. Well, it kind of felt like an extended version of that because there's so much flip-flopping between the... And you're told, like, oh, this is a magnificent world. You know, it's... Oh, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Oh, I'm a... You know, I'm a... I'm a... And I'm not... I mean, he never says that I'm a superhero, Idris Elba. He doesn't necessarily say that, but you just know that he's a badass. And, you know, you're just constantly reminded. You're constantly reminded that he's troubled by some sadness pertaining to his family and his father. And the man in black is just so obviously, uh, he's so obviously evil and bad 
that it really takes a special actor to really pull something like that off. And I just don't think Matthew McConaughey was that right person. And my first question for you, Matt. Why didn't is, they call this film the Wanted characters? Part 2? Is that, is that, yeah. Does everybody remember Wanted from 2008 where they can curve the bullets? Huh? Do you remember that? Do you remember that movie? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> but like, like how, how are these characters compared to what you've read? Um, I personally thought that the man in black was the main antagonist throughout the entire series. And I, I started, I mean, I, mean, I never, I, I didn't finish the first book, but I started reading the first book years ago and just, I just got way too busy with theater at the time. And so I, I never uh, went back and, and, and read it. Um, but how are these character? how are these characters? How are these characters stacked up to the okay. book characters? Um, again, it's literally so wildly different from the books that it's almost not a fair comparison. Now, there is nothing that strictly says that the gunslinger um, is of any particular heritage or anything like that. But um, he's definitely not. I don't know, in my, in the way I looked at it and the way I read it and how I, he's definitely not, you know, a British guy, <laughs> which, which is what Idris Elba is. So that kind of already threw me for a loop. And then I'm thinking about the, the Walter and I'm not, I'm just not seeing Matthew McConaughey playing this guy, right? Um, so just even in the casting of the roles and again it's it's not that they're bad actors it's just now you've you've already casted them so wildly that i'm just i mean i'm just i'm not i'm not i'm not seeing it um the i would say that to a certain degree the characterizations are are pretty good um, but like Jake, for example, Jake is kind of a whiny bitch, uh, in, 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 in the first book, um, later on, not so much, but, uh, see, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how deep down the rabbit hole I'm supposed to go here. I would say that given how wildly they changed it, they, they at least kind of kept the, the overall embodiment, the broad strokes of their characterizations, the broad strokes are there. And that's as best as I can put it. All right. How about, how about the setting and, okay. and how, how the events the played is, out, I guess. The setting is so fucked up. Oh my God. Really? Say again. Now, all right. That, that completely fucked up. Uh, the setting, the events, all that shit is Again, they are literally taking okay because Gunslinger Land looks. I'm like just gonna shit. say here. Okay, I'm just going to stop here and just say, uh, and Tim, this includes you. Do you want to know? Because I will tell you. If you no. if you have no desire to read these books, then I'll I, tell I do you now. What's up. Now that I know that uh, this movie sucked, and more than likely they're not gonna. I, I it's I I find it hard to believe. Well, of They're course not. They also, the series. Well, how could they? they well, I mean, aside from the, you know, quote, you know, the little, the little hole at the end that they give you that you could make a sequel if you wanted to. This is a completely self-contained movie. 
Um, the only way you could do something else is if we invent a new assault on the Dark Tower. Um, which they could do because again, they left that little hole at the end of the movie. Um, but on the whole, you know, you done saved the Dark Tower. Well, that's not what happens in the first book. So there's a reason why the first book is called The Gunslinger and the, uh, seventh book is called The Dark Tower. You see what I mean? So, sure. yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so then I don't want to go on too much, then I won't go into too much spoiler territory, especially in regards to the books. Um, yes, the, the world, the world that Roland, uh, inhabits, um, is basically destroyed. Uh, and they are, and, and it, it is as broken and messed up, especially in the desert area where they, where Jake first goes after the portal. Um, that's actually a pretty fair, representation um but again they condense so much and everything else um and the setting and all that kind of stuff the only thing that bounced that that was truly bouncing back and forth was um jake coming to midworld uh everything else is totally totally out of whack um a, and, and I will give you one small thing because it's the only thing that I can use as a prime example. Um, and I apologize because this will be a spoiler. Uh, the little base camp that they show where they're shooting those little psychic beams at the, at the sure. dark tower. That doesn't literally does not come into play until like the almost the end of the sixth book. And they open the fucking movie with it. So you see what I'm, you see what I mean when they are like combining yeah, so much that's, shit. That's frustrating. Okay. Well, I guess we got the gist of it for the most part. It's like really for me, like technically this movie really didn't save anything for me. Like the bits, of special effects, like with the, the, the building monster thing was, was cool. But like whenever you go to the gunslinger land or whatever the fuck it's called, that realm or whatever, or the, the future Earth, or whatever. It, it, like it's you can't really. It's not a vast landscape. Like you really don't see it. Like it's very white. It's overly bright. You know, so it's really not even nice. It's not even fun to watch. Even the New York stuff is really not aesthetically pleasing. Like there's nothing unique about the, this movie. Okay, that's because and again because they they consolidated so much just to make this film work in a, in a self-contained film. Uh, the the New York that gets taking that that's getting taken from is like 1972. That's that's where it's supposed to be taking place when you're dealing with Jake. Um, and the desert shale thing that that they come to and they kind of just cross and like and they like deal with it in like ten minutes and like what seems like a day. It's literally the entirety of the first book. Oh, okay. Is just the desert. So, I mean, there, there, it's literally the process of it. Um, the, the, uh, and, and there's always a constant reference to the wheel, you know, the, and so the cycle of the wheel continues and the wheel will turn and the wheel will turn. Um, and it's, and it's there because to show you the doggedness of everything that's happening in the, in, in, and what's going on. Also, um, even, but, and, and again, the, the, 
the series is set within the entirety of the Stephen King universe for all of his books. And yet, even in the books, um, after book four, I'm going, I'm, I'm telling you, man, this shit starts going off the rails. I was glad it was done. <laughs> when it comes down to it, if you haven't read the books, probably better off read the books. If you're interested in seeing the movie, go back and watch the movie until the inevitable HBO or Showtime series releases in another 10 years or so. Fair enough. So so you gave it a 2.25 then, huh? Oh, no, I gave it a 1.5. Oh, a 1.5 even worse. Yeah. Okay, my bad. My bad. Oh, th- that's it. And the, oh, For okay, and that's, and that's it. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, next week's movies. That's going to do it for this week's movies. Next week's movies are Atomic Blonde and Annabelle Creation. And without further ado, I believe it is time for the spiel. Is it not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service. No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, Oh, yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch. And I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. to as always has been brought to us by our music partners for rise of solace you can check them out at reverbnation.com and facebook.com both slash cries of solace as for us we are of course the sls cast and you can find us at slscast.com you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com you can also follow us on twitter at the sls cast you can follow me this is matt on twitter at nitwit12345 you can climb aboard that information superhighway and track down tim on twitter if that's your heart's desire don't forget you can always subscribe to us on itunes and our favorite us on stitcher radio as well as track us down on the old soundcloud so until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jason Mitchell, I get to say this. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm just here to put a smile on people's faces. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, no way, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>